You're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. Right now on the, well not on the line, on the opposite side of the desk, I'm joined by Kate Hanna, the Director of the Disinformation Project. Ata Maria, Kate. Ah, kia ora, Jamie. How you doing? I'm great. Marvellous. Thank you so much for coming in and thanks for coming down to Otipote. How are you finding it? Oh, it's beautiful always, Otipoti, even in the rain and cold. Yeah, because you were just saying it was 18 degrees up in Auckland. Yes, yeah, a bit too warm in Auckland at yeah. the moment. And I was just wondering if that was disinformation in itself. <laughs> well, uh, it's all about interpretation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Right, this, this, the disinformation project, what is it? So um, we're a mixed methods research group who are looking at the way in which information disorders operate, mainly on social media in Aotearoa, but also um, in mainstream media and across um, other ways that people communicate. So um, shared conversations, emails, WhatsApp messages, um, billboards, flyers, um, protest placards, any place that there's um, visual or, or written text that we can interpret. And what we want to look at and it's all open source, by the way, yeah. is just try to understand where people are getting their information from, how they're interpreting and understanding that information, and, and then what elements of what we call information disorders are present in what we look at as kind of an ecological system of information. Mm-hmm. What is a disinformation disorder? So an information disorder yeah. is where... Um, People's uh, trusted and reliable perception of information is coming from um, what we would consider to be false or inaccurate information. So we started looking at um, COVID-19 back in January, February 2020, and we did that because we knew that with a a new pandemic, a novel coronavirus, um, it would be changing at pace. The science would be very uh, uncertain and there would be changes in the science over time and there would be a lot of opportunity for there to be misinformation or disinformation presented to communities and we wanted to understand how that was going to operate in New Zealand because Aotearoa is different from the rest of the world. It shares features but it's also different and our social media landscape um, has always been quite different from international social media landscapes that has changed somewhat over the last two and a half years. Yeah. It's interesting with, with, with COVID-19. I remember when it was beginning, and you know, I, I just really re- I remember the ship, the cruise ship, the first ship mm. it was on, and they were still trying to dis- dis- discern whether it was an airborne thing or not. And I was like, hey, it's on a ship. It's got to be airborne. These people are in their rooms. And in a way, I was saying something that it must... I was making an assumption, right? Yeah. And that in itself is the beginning of what could have been the disinformation, right? Yeah, what we find with um, disinformation, uh, they largely disinformation narratives largely have their um, nexus in a conspiratorial way of thinking. But conspiracy theory in itself always starts with a kernel of truth. Yeah. So, so you know, one of the key um, narratives that we saw, for example, over 2020, and which is still present now about um, COVID-19, um, is that you know that it was um, it's less. Uh, harmful or less bad than than people say it is. It's just a cold. It's just a flu. Yeah, yeah. And of course, for some people, that is true. Yeah. And so every time somebody's lived experience of, of having Omicron or having COVID nineteen and in, in, in any of its variations is mild, that can reinforce that kernel of truth. But it leaves out all the other parts of the story where it has been very very damaging to many many people and has also killed millions of people around the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I I got pleurisy from COVID. You know, and pleurisy is not fun. It was bad for me. It was really bad for me. But, you know, my neighbour, you know, easy peasy. And that's the other thing with the variants, right? So the I'm pretty sure I got Delta. 
Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe I didn't. Maybe I just got bad Omicron. But the original form of um, of COVID nineteen is not the same as what we got now. That's variants. Uh, gene, I mean, it mutates and all that kind of stuff. So people are looking around now, going, COVID nineteen hasn't really done. It. It's not that bad. All the people I know have had it quite easy. But that's different from the original variants. So it's absolutely different from the original variants, and, and also, you know, it's a confirmation bias circumstance where, you know, the stories that you will remember are the ones about it being bad. If you're yeah. somebody who thinks that it is, who believes that it is a dangerous and, and, and scary disease, and the yeah. stories you'll remember and talk about that it's mild will be the ones that you'll focus on if you're a person who has that as their beginning stance thinking about COVID-19. Mm. So, uh, you know, our human mechanisms for kind of navigating our way through the world, our shortcuts, our mental shortcuts, our emotional shortcuts, um, all predicate us on trying to sort of minimise the amount of scary information we're taking in yeah, yeah. so that we can cope, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And we're living in a time of existential crisis. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and so we're, we're constantly going to try and choose mental and, and emotional shortcuts that help us cope with that existential crisis. It's just unfortunate that some of those shortcuts are now pushing people into spaces that are immensely racist, immensely misogynistic, um, and hold really strong sets of ideas about um, the role of families, the roles of men and women, and I choose that binary distinction, you know, quite purposefully, and also the role of, um, you know, who gets to be a New Zealander, the definition of of what it is to be a member of our society, Mm -hmm. and those have kind of been um, piggybacked in via stealth through through these COVID-19 disinformation messages. Yeah, well, if we look at the people that have been organising a lot of the protests and stuff like that, that has definitely been on their agenda for a long time, the national, you know, ex-National Front members, uh, members of the Destiny's Church, and, 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 and the like. Um, it's nothing new, though, is it? This information, this you can stretch it back as far as you, as, as, your, um, as the history books go. Absolutely, it's not anything new, and you know, in a way that um, we need to really remember that because there is a tendency to blame the internet for our woes. As if yeah. we kind of, if we reform or remove the internet, um, things will be better. I mean, we have to remember that there were moral panics and moral crises when. Um, when the printing press was invented mm-hmm. and, and um, information was disseminated to the priesthood of all believers by, by you know, through the Protestant Revolution and then and then the revolution of newspapers, we, we had the same thing with the advent of radio and we had the same thing with the advent of, of mass media via television. Yeah. Uh, they are tools that we can use for good or bad. The yeah. tool themselves is not necessarily bad. However, in the case of the internet, we obviously have the difficulty of algorithms, <laughs> <laughs> which potentially are quite bad. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, this, I know, we all live in our bubbles, right? It's a bubble thing. And I think, you know, um, there is a lot of conversation about uh, echo chambers and bubbles, and I think it's really important to remember that we are allowed to curate our news and information to be places that are safe, yeah. Um, where we're not exposed to things that are um, upsetting or that, that question our identity or question who we are as people. You know, we shouldn't have to be exposed to traumatising things in order to be some kind of better citizen. But, but it's about acknowledging that there's spaces that you curate, um, that, you know, your social media feed should be people that you like listening to and talking to and, mm-hmm. and, and that, you know, sources that you're interested in, etc. I mean, we've always done that. I mean, my parents are the sort of people who read, the, who read The Guardian, you know. I mean, that's a particular type of person as opposed to people who read The Sun. But... <laughs> 
But at the same time, we, we also need to make sure that mainstream media where people might be drawing on to then have these conversations inside bubbles or echo chambers um, and therefore also social media that is more mainstream um, is accurate, is fact-checked, yeah. is, is checked for bias. Does their due diligence, I mean, we've had um, examples this week on both the project and in staff where um, the presentation of, of, of a story about um, nurses who want to return to, um, to nursing having once the vaccine mandate is removed. And it's, they've not been interrogated as to do, towards their involvement with, uh, with a group called Voices for Freedom. They yeah. haven't been interrogated as to whether they're actually all registered nurses. You know, there's been a lot of failure from journalists in, in both print and um, uh, in the news media to, to actually ask the right questions of people who are presenting the, a particular story. Um, but I guess one of the one of the troubles with disinformation is there's disinformation about the organisations that are supposed to give you information as well. Yes, exactly. Right. And, and and you know one of the features of our understanding of conspiratorial thought, um, and this is kind of a really US based um, kind of construction. So I don't partic- totally hold with it but it is quite helpful to think about is that we've had over the period of perhaps the last 30 or 40 years um, a repeated sort of lack of uh, repetition of of lack of trust in institutions and if we think about those institutions those institutions are things like the state or government Mm -hmm. and again thinking about this in a US context and actually one of the um, thinkers that I read, Sofia Moskalenko, talks about lack of trust in institutions like entertainment in Hollywood, which, you know, I find kind of amusing. But if you do think about um, Jeffrey Epstein, kind of that scandal, um, obviously the Me Too movement based in Hollywood, and then you see the emergence of QAnon with, with narratives that Pizza are focused gags. around um, pedophilia and sexual assault. Yeah. You can see how these true stories, these uncoverings of, of harm yeah. and, and kind of reconciliation of harm and, and unpacking the past do influence the way in which then conspiracy can enter people's lives. And so we're definitely seeing that now in Aotearoa really, really tragically um, with the really important Royal Commission into um, Abuse in State and Church Care, where those narratives and stories which must be told and and have to be told for us to to move on um, as a country are then being used to draw people into, again, those sort of um, conspiratorial sets of ideas that are related to QAnon, are related, as you say, to Pizzagate, to to an international global conspiracy. And that is tragic. That is, um, you know intentionally operating from someone's real lived experience of harm Mm. to draw them down a a really dangerous pathway. Well, how do we, you know, get rid of those pathways? How do do we battle that, you know, with somebody that's gone that deep, that's gone so far down? So I think we need to think about all of this as being predicated on relationships. So we know that health and well-being... Um, and, and a kind of social determinants of health model is social. And we know from, from in Aotearoa, we know, thankfully, because we have the gift of being here as people of tetiriti, mm. that, that health and well-being is social. It's relationship-built. Yeah. So what has happened to many of our whānau here in New Zealand and internationally is that they've built social networks based on ideas that we would might call social contagion, so, so ideas that are harming them 
connecting them into social networks based on harm instead of social networks that are based on love and care and support. But from those social networks of contagion, they are receiving the the aroha that they need. They they feel like they're part of something that's supporting them. So it's about kind of stepping them back out into safe, structured communities of social cohesion where people's identity is supported, where people's lived experience is supported, where their experiences of of colonisation and harm are acknowledged and, 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 you know, are forefronted. So it's not a short process. No. This is is based on, you know, 200, 300 years of colonisation, some of these experiences. But, you know, it is a long game, but it's worth it because there are things at stake. It's funny. It's interesting you brought up Tatiriti because um, you know there's a lot around just that and the two the two writings of the treaty and you know um, Pakeha's place in Aotearoa and that being stripped you know the fear of that being stripped away because we uh, you know entities especially like the Dunedin City Council and the government are starting to look at the Tatiriti and and moving forward with the original articles that Māori signed. Um, and that is leading to a lot of fear within Pakeha communities and, and itself is leading to more disinformation. Absolutely. And I think what we're currently witnessing um, is perhaps an information void that is partially just, um, you know, our Kiwi way of like not kind of talking about important things because yeah. they're kind of like a bit embarrassing and you might sort of sound a bit like you care and you they know, don't want to talk about it it's like you know looking at teaching history in schools yeah. now there's that fear that you know oh they're just going to blanket us as this or but that's we're just te- te- teaching the truth and, and history is complex and and painful and yeah. and and but you know the, the Telling those stories, being part of, of telling those stories is, is part of the delight of being human. You know, that's that storytelling is what makes us human in many, many ways. Mm. And being able to know where we come from and why we get to be here as Pākehā is immensely empowering. But, you know, you have to take the good with the bad. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I have great hopes as a historian for the changes to the history curriculum over the long term because you know our rangatahi will come through school learning about where they come from in a really localised manner understanding their role as settlers as, as, as Pākehā or as tōiwi and being able to engage and, and talk to their whānau and, and you know wider relations about what that actually all means and we can all actually rather than kind of acting as if there's only one small space to stand we can all kind of just share it yeah yeah. Oh God, I've already had those conversations with relatives. It's yeah. I, it's, as I say, it's not. A sh- it's a long game. <laughs> it's a really long game. I, I leave the gr- the grandparents out of it because it's too late. Uh, but it is a very long game. So, all right. So the, you're here as part of Nanofest 2022, of course, yeah. which is um, part of the New Zealand um, International Science Festival. You're talking tonight at the Hutton Theatre across the road of the, the museum. Mm-hmm. What exactly are you going to be speaking on? So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, kind of the, the broader landscape that we're reviewing. So I'll touch on some of the things that we've just talked about, about, about colonisation, about, you know, why trust might be eroded in certain places. I'll talk about um, what we've observed over the last two years, um, some of the key features of the disinformation landscape in New Zealand and why that's worrying and, and why mm-hmm. that's worrying, you know, not from a... Um, censorship or or stopping people saying what they think point of view but 
how we need to rethink the ways in which we consciously engage as we come back um, together in, in these times where we are living with the pandemic, yeah. how we think about how we negotiate difference of opinion, difference of identity in ways that are respectful, in ways that acknowledge um, each other's humanity, that, that, that you know do not other people. We're seeing a lot yeah. of language of um, dehumanisation and othering um, in the spaces that we study, and those are... Um, you know, without being dramatic, it's the language of genocide. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said before, it's, there's all these other things that are piggybacking on the back of this disinformation. Yeah. And then pushing that into the social consciousness, and that's uh, that's a negative. After all the good work that's kind of been done over the course of the last couple of decades, it's kind of being slowly eroded, right? It is, and, and, and there are some people who... A lot of the people who are participating in these discourses, who are, who are in this network of social contagion... Um, are not fully aware of what they're participating in. You know, yeah. they're, they're just they're, they're uncertain, they're scared, they're fearful that they're in the midst of the existential crisis that we're all in the midst of. But there are other people who are fully aware of what they're doing and who are who are using that fear to try and push end goals. Yes, a man named Kyle. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and we're going to come out of this pandemic. And what's the country going to look like on the other side? That's you know, that's and, what this is all and about. And I, I think that's really important. And you know, I guess when we're thinking about um, individuals like the one you just mentioned, you know, they have an idea of the state and, a, yeah. and an idea of the future. And we need to those of us who don't share that idea of the state or the idea of the future need to articulate quite strongly what our vision. What what does what is Aotearoa? It's a tolerant. Mm. Um, inclusive, progressive place where where we Jack's as good as his master, and, and and we work together to do things. Where we're we're quite egalitarian. You know, we need to hold those values. And I know it sounds a bit cheesy to kind of gloss over the past, and, and you know, it's more complicated than that egalitarian yeah, yeah, yeah. myth. Yeah. But we also have to hold the because if we're not telling a myth-making story, somebody else is totally. Totally. All right, this is Information Project tonight at uh, Hutton Theatre, part of NanoFest 2022. SciFest.org.nz as we get tickets from that for that, 5.30 through to 7pm. Hannah, uh, Kate, sorry, uh, thank you so much for coming in. It's <laughs> all good. Yeah, have yourself a wonderful day. We'll see you tonight. Brilliant. Uh, that was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.